Hello, everyone. You're listening to the Lucky Star Show and Tell podcast, and I'm your host, Lisa Field, owner and director of Lucky Star Art Camp, a women's art and whole living sleepaway camp held annually on the banks of the Guadalupe River in Hunt, Texas. On today's podcast, I'll be talking to a new Lucky Star instructor, Nam Jyoti Karkalsa. Nam is a self-taught professional henna artist and has been practicing the art of henna adornment for herself and others for over 20 years. She also teaches about the history of henna's uses throughout time and place. Nam finds inspiration for her art through the natural world, ancient textiles, and folk art. She has taught the course that she developed the mystery of art and henna in person, virtually, and at the Good Medicine Confluence in Durango, Colorado. Nam is a mother, wife, teacher of yoga and meditation, practicing herbalist, gardener, and maker of brooms and heirloom dolls. She lives on a homestead in the Texas Hill Country where she and her family raise goats, rabbits, chickens, ducks, and pigs. Welcome to the podcast, Nam Jyoti. We are supported by Girl Guitar. Girl Guitar is a female-owned and operated Austin-based business offering private and group music classes for women and teenage girls. Voted Austin's best music instruction by the Austin Chronicle Readers Poll, this is not your typical music class. There are performance opportunities, bands forming, songwriting workshops, and even yoga retreats. And you don't even have to live in Austin to participate because they offer in-person and online classes as well. Right now, Girl Guitar is offering $25 off a group class with code LuckyStarPodcastRules. For more information on Girl Guitar, visit www.girlguitaraustin.com. That's www.girlguitaraustin.com. Check them out. Hello, Nam. How are you today? I'm doing great, Lisa. How are you? I'm doing fine. I'm so excited that I was able to find you. I have I've been like really interested in henna for a while, and I remember our mutual friend Abby Bosick mentioning um, something about you when she came and taught at Lucky Star a few years back, and so. I reached out to her and I was like, hey, do you still have that friend? And she was like, yeah, yes, I do. So I'm I so love excited Abby. to meet you. Actually, right after you reached out to her, we had a little date to have tea together. So it was really kind of serendipitous how it all came together. Oh, cool. Yeah. So do you guys live near one another? Yeah, we're, I guess we're basically neighbors. We live maybe five minutes driving away from each other. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. so I'm going to start every, I start every podcast just by asking for a description of like, what was your childhood like? Where'd you grow up? Where are you from? Uh, my childhood was kind of split between two states. So I was born in Virginia, in the Virginia Beach area. And um, when I was about 13, we moved to Florida. So it was a big jump, you know, moving from Virginia to Florida. Um, but I had a good childhood, you know, I was playing the viola and hanging out with my friends and going to the beach. <laughs> so, yeah. So would you consider yourself a creative kid? I mean, obviously you're playing the viola. That's a really cool thing. Were you artsy at all as a kid? 
Very. Art was always my focus, really. Um, I was telling one of my kids the other day, I was like, I don't remember what I did in high school other than art class. <laughs> like, <I> was, <laughs> art was really my life as a kid. That's cool. What got you into the viola? Did you play other instruments and that's the one you settled on or? Uh, No. When I was, I was in elementary school, I was about 10 and orchestra became available as an option to us in our last year of elementary school before going to middle school. And so I started at 10 and then I played all the way through. I mean, my viola is right up here on the wall. So, um, I stopped for a while, kind of off and on when I was a young adult, but uh, I didn't really play any other instruments. I was pretty hooked. It was like between violin and viola. I was like, well, I like the viola because it's a little bit deeper and it's bigger. So, yeah. Oh, cool. So do you still play? I do. Not as much as I used to, but I really want to play some Christmas music. (laughs) That's like really my focus right now is like I'm preparing to do maybe like at the local um, nursing home to just go and great idea music yeah I think they would really enjoy that oh for sure so would I (laughs) I I play the guitar and Mm -hmm. like I was like the the wedding singer you know for all of my cousins and friends and everything for their weddings but and then it was terrifying bold, stupid, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> no, I lo- I mean, I loved it. It's just, you know, it's such a big day for people. So there's a lot of pressure. But yeah. um, I do love singing and playing the guitar. And um, I thought I would play more, you know, like, I-, I have the same thing with riding horses. Like I used to ride, it used to be such a big part of my life. And then you know, you grow up and you start working and raising kids. And I just never dreamed that I would like set my guitar to the side, you know, and hardly ever play it. And I thought, oh, I'll I'll teach my kids how to play, which occasionally we start and then, you know, it it gets set (laughs) to the side. But um, I still have big dreams to play more And, and Lucky Star kind of brings that out because there's a guitar class every year. And there's the opportunity to play by the fireside, you know, at night to strum along with Mandy. So I just recently picked up the banjo. My husband bought me a banjo what? for Mother's Day last year. And so um, oh. I was thinking I'm definitely going to take my banjo to the camp. Oh, and, yeah. Because I'm always just so nervous to like jam, you know, because yeah. I'm a classical musician. So I'm used to like sheet music and composers, but right. I'm trying to like get more into just jamming with people. So the yeah. banjo is nice for that. Oh, yeah. I grew up with my dad playing the banjo and like I have this big love for bluegrass mm-hmm. because of, of him and that and my, you know, my mom loves it too. So I, I grew up with a banjo in the house and it's, it's not as easy. And of course you can strum a banjo too. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, you know, that finger picking, it's so yep. amazing and so fast. It's just. Well, you bring your guitar and I'll bring my banjo. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sounds good. That sounds good. So, okay. So when did you move away from Florida? Um, I was about. 13 
oh, I'm sorry, from Florida. I moved when I was in my early 20s. So like 21, I moved to Texas. Okay. So what brought you to Texas? Um, honestly, um, at the time, the cheap land <laughs> brought me yeah. to Texas because it's like I was in the central Florida area where things were just getting so expensive. And both of my brothers were stationed in Texas, their military army. And they were like, hey, come here, you know, buy a piece of land. It's really cheap. So that's how I ended up in Texas. But I was in like the Colleen area, Fort Hood, very military town. And I eventually made my way to the Texas Hill Country, which is where I live now. Awesome. So, and specifically in the Wimberley area, correct? Mm -hmm. I'm in Wimberley. <laughs> so why land? Why did you want to buy land? Um, because I, that's where I feel the most at home is just out in nature and just on, really on raw land. Um, but I wanted to have chickens and goats. We had a donkey out there. So I just, I like being around animals and I like being around plants. That's where I feel the most at home. Did you have a garden growing up in Florida no, or in West we Virginia? didn't, no, <laughs> nope. Or any pets or anything like that, like farm animals, or is this all something that you've done as an adult? It's all as an adult. And I think that it was just like, my heart's desire, you know, that's something that yeah. was deep inside of my heart that I've just followed in little ways, you know, and now we have this whole homestead with a bunch of animals and stuff, but it just happened, you know, step by step, just how, you know, life takes you oh, in yeah. the right direction slowly sometimes. <laughs> so when you say homestead, describe to me what that looks like for you on a daily basis. Uh, okay. <laughs> a I know lot it's of a work. lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we, we raise dairy goats and fiber goats. Uh, so we have some Angoras, we have Nigerian dwarf goats. So in the morning, it's my chore to get up and milk the goats. And then the kids mostly feed like the goats and the pigs and the chickens. It's their job to get up and feed them. And I feed the rabbits because the rabbits are in the garden. So I'm heading to the garden anyway. So I feed the rabbits and then I kind of tend to whatever needs to happen in the garden. Um, but we're on just a few acres of land, maybe four acres mm -hmm. um, is where our property is. And I'm I keep looking out the window because I can see the goats <laughs> from here. <laughs> um, but I, I really wanted to... Um, be more aware of like where our food comes from. And so that was the main motivation to start having animals and raising food, because I think it's really important to know, you know, where your food comes from because oh, yeah. it doesn't just start at the grocery store, right. you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, and it's so important for kids to know that. Yeah. Yeah. My kids have really thrived, um, especially with the goats because they have so much personality and they're such great <laughs> companions and the pigs too, really. Um, but we've had the goats the longest we've had them since 2018. And I feel like whenever the kids or if they're having a rough day or if they're bored, they can just go out and hang out with the goats and they're like friends, you know? Oh yeah. And they're funny. I mean, they're yeah. so fun to watch. They're hilarious to me. Yeah. 
Especially yeah. if you have any rocks on your place that they can jump up on. Like we have yeah. friends that, that raise goats over in high Texas, which is kind of outside of Johnson City. Mm-hmm. And especially when they're youngsters, you know, they're so fun to watch because they are just like, they're, they're doing little zoomies all around and up onto the rocks and down. It's just great. It's the best. They get their hopping legs at like three days old. So oh it's my so because they're so small and they're just bouncing like bunnies. And it's just like, it's the cutest <laughs> thing, a baby goat. It's nothing better. <laughs> so you get up in the morning and you milk the goat. So what time are we talking? Um, I don't start milking until like sunrise. Okay, I take it good. easy with them. We have a, a very <laughs> casual routine. That's good. Um, yeah. But it's it's a routine that has to be done daily, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The Once you start milking, you can't just like, you have yeah. to do it every day. Yeah, because we know after having kids what that feels like. <laughs> yes. Nobody wants to be engorged like no. nobody. <laughs> No. And I feel like I've, especially because I'm just milking one goat right now. She's actually the queen of our herd and her name is Argent. And um, I feel like her and I have a really special bond because it's just me and her every morning, you know. And so I feel like we have a really good friendship and a really good connection through the milking process. Yeah, that's that's cool. You know, when you're spending that much, especially intimate time with an animal, I mean, it's like, I see you, you know what I mean? It's, she's counting on you to, to, for that every day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and I feel like she's relieved, you know, because she's gone all night. (laughs) So she she comes, thank goodness. (laughs) She's happy to see you. Oh yeah. I have a friend, Katie uh, Davenport, who is in that Colleen area and they raise, goats and um, alpacas and all of that. And, um, you know, you mentioned fiber a while ago. So not just milk, but fiber. Tell me Mm -hmm. about the fiber. I mean, I've talked with her a little bit about it and she actually taught some classes at camp uh, one year and brought her, brought her alpacas for everyone to walk. And it was so much fun. Yeah. (laughs) I love alpacas. So when it comes to fiber for alpacas, I kind of understand that process. What about for goats? Well, we raise Angora goats. So Mm -hmm. the fiber from Angora is mohair. So actually our goats are being shorn on Saturday. So we shear them in the spring and then we shear them again in the late summer. So they get two haircuts and um, the fiber after the winter is a little bit more rough because they've been kind of bedding down during the cold weather. But um, the fiber in the fall or late summer is much cleaner because they're not bedded down so heavily during the Mm -hmm. warmer months. Um, So we don't do the shearing ourselves. We're going to take them to a ranch, uh, a local ranch here in Wimberley, where they're going to shear probably over 100 goats that day. And then I'll get the fiber back and I spin it. And I'm, I'm a very beginner spinner, but, um, I learned how to do a drop spindle. And then actually Abby's mom, um, (laughs) gave me a spinning wheel like a year ago. And so I have this beautiful spinning wheel. Um, and it's a double, 
pedal. Yeah. I think they call it a treadle. I don't know all the terminology yet, but I've learned how to use that spinning wheel. Actually, I had this dream where it was so weird, but the spinning wheel was showing me how to use it in the dream. What? And I woke up the next day and I was so like stoked to get started. because I was like, I wonder if this is actually how right. it works. It was. It worked what? like it was the weirdest so thing. Cool. So, <laughs> so then I so just it's take meant to be. Oh it's yeah, meant to be for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> so what I'll spin cool. it into yarn. Then I'll use that yarn to make clothes and rugs and blankets and stuff. That, that is such a cool process. And um, yeah, please do keep learning that because I may want you to come back and teach a class about that. People would love oh, yeah. that. Yeah. Very it's so cool. meditative. You know, so many things that we do that are artistic have that meditative quality of just like getting in the zone and that repetitive movement that kind of puts you in that meditative space. So oh, yeah. I find that spinning is definitely like that as well. Oh, I bet. I can imagine. Um, I, I get that when, well, pulling weeds for one thing. And then also like um, embroidery. I, I, I like that motion, you know, where, where when you get into the meditative state where you're not really thinking about what you're doing. And you're just doing, your body has taken over. It's really, really, and your subconscious, you know, it's, yeah. it's really, really, I think, important for us to do things like that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. For I our mean, sanity. Yeah. And there's so many, I think sometimes when we think of meditation, we think of, you know, I have to sit down in silence and close my eyes and all of this. And that's one way, but there are just a million ways to meditate. And so anytime when you're in that zone, you've activated that space that's just so expansive. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, keep learning that. <laughs> We're going <laughs> to talk about this again someday. So what got you into henna? And, and also, please give us just like a brief, you know, like one or two liner history of henna and, and what it's all about. Wow. <laughs> okay. Um, no, one or two lines. <laughs> Not really. Well, you can go as long as you want. <laughs> um, well, henna has a long history of interaction with mankind. So um, the practice of henna dates back over 6,000 years. And I think that when we think of henna often like as Americans, we might think of the body art, the henna tattoos, but henna is a plant, which a lot of people don't know. You know, it mm -hmm. can be a small shrub or it can grow into a big tree. And so henna has a lot of different properties that are medicinal, that are uh, these therapeutic properties, and there's perfumery of the henna flowers. So um, all of that history of medicinal use has been around longer than the actual art form of henna. And I find that to be really fascinating, just the whole oh, yeah. the history. And um, I think oftentimes we think of like henna that we see at maybe an Indian wedding. A lot of people's minds goes mm -hmm. there uh, when they think about the art of henna. But because of the way that the henna seed travels around the world, it can be found growing like 
all over. So it started in Africa and it's kind of made its way by waterways all around the world. Um, so that's just, that's really fascinating to me to look at the bigger picture of where henna grows and how it's been used by ancient people and kind of how it made its way into the body adornment that we see today. It's just a magical plant, really. <laughs> and a healing plant, for sure. Whether it's the tradition around it, like you were saying with the adornment, or the actual medicinal use of it, it's it's mm -hmm. such a healing plant and such a a cool history, like you said. So what got you interested in it? Um, when I was living in Florida, you know, I didn't grow up receiving henna. I didn't know any henna artists and the internet wasn't really a thing back then, mm -hmm. you know? So <laughs> um, I just, there was this store I used to really love to go to in downtown Orlando. And it was like this bohemian shop that was, you know, they sold incense and they had mm -hmm. like the, the beaded curtains that hang down. Yeah, it was yeah. just like my favorite place. So I would go and spend a lot of time there as a teenager. And one day I came across this little, it was like a little box of a henna kit. And inside it was some henna powder and like a silicone stencil that you stick onto your skin. And yeah. a bottle of maybe it was essential oil, but um, you mixed up the paste and then you put on the stencil and you just smeared the paste over the stencil and let it dry and then peeled the stencil off and you had this little design. Huh. And um, when I saw how it stained my skin, you know, I have dark skin. And so I was like, you know, let's see how this goes. And it stained my skin, this beautiful, like reddish maroon color. And it was just so magical to me that some paste. I don't even think I knew it was a plant back then, but just right. some weird paste that I smeared on my skin <laughs> have this magical effect that would last, you know, for a week. And so I was, after that, I was hooked and That's I've been awesome. doing it ever since I was maybe 14 or 15. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so how did you learn how to make it? Through lots and lots of trial and error. Um, because, again, the internet wasn't a thing. And so if you wanted to learn something, you know, you could maybe find a book on it right. and then, you know, start the process of just trying to learn by doing. So um, my early my early henna <laughs> was very rough, but it didn't it really didn't matter, you know, because I was building this relationship, unbeknownst to me, I was building this relationship with this plant spirit that for whatever reason wanted to interact with me. And yeah. I just kept going, you know, it's been over 20 years and I've never stopped. So when did you first feel confident enough to start adorning others with your henna? Oh, gosh. Did you just like jump right time. in? No, I didn't. Um, I would do henna for like my sister and my mother. So it started very intimately with people that didn't care if I messed up, you know, right, <laughs> because right. they love me. Yeah. Um, and then <laughs> I think it was probably, I don't know, five or six years. And um, I always had henna on myself, though. I was always practicing on myself, too. And 
I was at this place that was having an open mic night and someone was like, oh, you should bring some henna and do henna for other people. And I would, that freaked me out. Like I was so nervous, but somehow, you know, I guess because there was music playing and it was just an easy kind of community, you know, so um, I just started doing very small designs for people and like apologizing as I did them, you know, I'm so <laughs> yeah. sorry, you know, this isn't, sorry if this isn't how you want it to be. And I eventually um, began to overcome that. And sometimes mm -hmm. when I'm giving henna to people, especially like for a pregnant mother or for a wedding, then there is just like when you were doing your, mm -hmm. your wedding, your wedding singing, there is a little bit of pressure, but um, I just kind of settle into that, you know, and just keep going. Yeah. Push through and yeah. stop apologizing. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't apologize anymore. I just breathe. And, yeah. you know, even with henna, it's amazing because even what might look to you like a mistake at first, uh, it can, it really, the henna, it's a plant and it has its own spirit and its own, mm -hmm. um, intention, you know, so if you can just kind of get out of the way a little bit yeah. and listen to what the plant medicine is trying to do, then you can kind of overcome that as well, because the henna is there with you and she wants to do something too. You know, it's not right. all about what your personal intention is like if you can just connect with the plant and go from there, it's a little bit easier. Right. And uh, man, I totally believe that about plants, especially. I, I read, I, I wish I could remember the name of the book right now, but I read a, a book a while back that um, it was talking about how plants, the way that they're designed, and they there are some scientists that have recently discovered that there's this whole like other state of water that's kind of like a crystalline form that is inside of plants. And this it, it makes it to where they communicate with us. Like our, our bodies were made knowing how to communicate with plants and vice versa. And so like when we ingest plants or, you know, put plant material on our skin, our body knows naturally what to do with it and communicates with it. And, and I just, that just like, really opened my mind to this whole other world. And, you know, I've always, I mean, I'm a plant person. I'm a landscape designer by trade and grew up with um, a giant vegetable garden that my grandma planted and would sell vegetables to the public and would go with her to farmer's market. Like I've always had a connection to the earth, to the soil, to plants. But after reading that, it just made me look at things and look at plants in such a different way. So I totally get what you're saying about how this plant is, it's, it's alive, it's organic, it has a spirit and it is communicating in its own way. And you are basically the, the the catalyst, right, to get it from one place to the next. And Absolutely. that flow of energy, it's no different than gardening, 
right? Because from the seed into the earth, you're the catalyst to get it from there to the table and into our bodies. So it's that same cool cycle of just uh, that, that I'm just so intrigued by. And I think I told you too, one of the books that uh, I listened to, it's probably been about two years ago was the henna artist. And it was one of my favorite books for so many reasons, but that book really, you know, I had seen pictures of people adorned with henna for their weddings and I thought it was beautiful but I didn't really know anything about it beyond that aesthetic piece, you know? And when I read that book, she really goes into a lot of detail to the point that like, I mean, she gives recipes and stuff at the, you know, in the, I almost said show notes, but you know, in her, like if you download an audio book, you get some, a PDF usually. And like she, um, shared a lot about henna in there and it got me really interested. And so I love, I I want you to tell us about your class here in a second, but I just wanted to say that this goes so far beyond just that aesthetic piece. It's, it's, um, it's a spiritual thing. And it's also, it's also a practical thing because it is healing. So tell us, what, what class are you teaching at Lucky Star this year? <laughs> My class is called The Mystery and Art of Henna. Um, and it's just like you're saying, it's, it's so, the picture is much more vast than just a henna design that's on your skin. And by nature, one of the things that I've noticed that the henna plant does is she brings people together because even when you are giving henna and receiving henna, there's a closeness, there's an intimacy, and there's a bonding experience that you can't escape. You know, like you're sitting mm-hmm. very close to people, you're touching them, even if it's just on their hand, you're talking to them. You know, it's a very intimate thing. And I think that's one reason why women throughout time have gathered together and done henna together because it just, it's, it breaks down barriers. It doesn't matter who you are or where you're from, everyone's welcome. Um, So that's really what my class focuses on. It's not just like a lecture, it's more of a ceremony. And I would consider it to be a rite of passage because anyone who is interested in this class, anyone who signs up and comes to this class, it's not because, it's not just because of me saying, hey, I'm doing this class, come, you know, there's, there's also the henna. And when henna is ready to start a relationship with you, she'll find you and she'll reach out to you and she will draw you in. And so, you know, anybody who feels like, oh, well, that looks fun or that looks like it could be interesting. I'm going to do that class. Um, the henna is definitely at play and kind of beckoning you, you know, I beckoning you closer. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I have a teacher um, who one thing that she would say, it's a teacher of herbalism. She would say, whenever you walk into a forest all of the plants and animals, all of these sentient beings 
they already have seen you coming, you know, from far. Mm -hmm. Everyone knows you're there <laughs> already. So, um, yeah, plants are, are just amazing. And when we can acknowledge that there's a relationship happening there, then the possibilities really are endless. You never know where something like this will take you. It might be like, oh, I'm going to go to Lucky Star and I'm going to take this henna class. But again, the henna has intentions for her relationship with you and secrets really to share with you. Oh, I love that. It gives me goosebumps. <laughs> She's calling me for sure. <laughs> yeah. Me too. <laughs> so, so in your class, what can people expect to kind of walk away from after the three hours? Uh, well, we, yeah, we will touch on more than just the art because I think it's important to look at, um, we can't look at the full picture in that amount of time, but we can touch on a lot of the different aspects of the henna. And so um, I plan on, like, I have a couple of henna trees, like I'll actually bring a henna plant with me and um, we'll go through some of the history and tradition around the world. Um, and we'll look at, you know, some of the, med the medicinal properties, the botanical dye properties, because henna dyes more than just your skin. Um, so it's been used as a natural dye throughout time. And then we'll, we'll slowly make our way to the art of henna. But once we begin with the art of henna, we'll go from the plant through the paste and learn how to mix your own henna, different ways that you can apply henna. Because I primarily use a cone, but I didn't use a cone when I first started because I didn't know how to make one. You know, So mm -hmm. uh, there are a lot of different tools that people use to apply henna to the skin. Um, We'll also look at like the cosmetic use of henna because you can dye your hair with henna. Uh, but in the applied practice, we'll actually be making our own henna paste, coning it or using another method of application, and we'll begin doing designs. So um, what, I what I love to see is women sitting together, giving each other henna and receiving henna because the benefits are they go both ways. So it's not just when you're receiving henna that you're enjoying the whole process. It's also when you're giving. So um, I really look forward to that ceremonial aspect when we can just sit together and talk and adorn each other. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's going to be the best class ever. I'm so excited <laughs> about it. Me so too. in addition to your class, outside of class time, you're also going to offer henna adornment as like a service for fee, which I'm yeah. thrilled about too, because, you know, only so many people will be able to take your class and it'll be those who henna calls in, like you said, to go deeper. But for those who maybe aren't feeling the call or, but are interested in having henna adornment, you'll be there to offer that as well. So that's exciting. I will. And that's also a call, you know, like you sure, might true. not, you might have other classes that you want to take, but right. you can still come and sit with me and have the whole experience of receiving henna, which is really special. Oh, that, that is really great. So tell me what is Blue Cypress School of Holism? 
Um, Blue Cypress School of Holism, initially, uh, when I started the school, it was back in 2016. And it was a school of herbalism and yoga and meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, now the school, um, it's gone through a lot of kind of transformations over the years. Like for a while, I was hosting teachers that would come and teach like Indigo and Shibori. We had a guy that came from San Antonio and was teaching um, how to grow mushrooms. So the idea behind the practice of holism is, you know, it's just like holistic. We are whole sentient beings that are made up of smaller parts, you know, like I'm Nam Jyoti, I'm a mother, I'm a wife, I'm a homesteader, I'm a gardener, I'm all these things that make up the whole. So the classes through the school are different um, different practices that we can undertake in this process of living a whole, complete life, really. <laughs> I feel like that I mean, was pretty you're speaking vague my language. Whole. No, but you're speaking my language. Because I mean, like for Lucky Star, I've always from the very beginning said it's an art and whole living camp because, well, deep history is that in college at UT, I had a professor who taught me about a holistic approach to looking at life. And I mean, this is, this is a person in the, um, gosh, they were, it was when I was studying botany, conservation, ecology. And I mean, this, this person had dedicated their studies to studying dung beetles. I mean, like this was their career and it was a couple and they They just taught us that, you know, once a year as a couple, they look at themselves, the individual, and also the couple in a holistic way. And they, they manage everything that they do from that holistic approach. And it's just basically looking at the whole person, looking at the big picture and not just honing in on, you know, this one specific path, but really, really looking at listening to and tending to the entire self. And I mean, I'm, I feel so grateful to have been introduced to that concept at such a young age because it really has guided everything that I've done since then, you know? And, um, so I, I get, I get what you're saying. I, I, that's definitely a cool thing. So for instance, at Lucky Star, you know, you can come and learn how to make jewelry painting, but you can also learn how to garden and learn how to make something with your hands or the henna, for instance. So, I I see there's such an importance to me to really have a well-rounded approach to, and for me, you know, I'm a gardener, I'm a landscape designer. I'm always tending, whether it's plants, my family, people, 
that lucky star, you know, I'm, I'm a tender. <laughs> I like to tend to people. And so I like to do it in a holistic way. So is yeah. that kind of the same feel that you have in your business? Absolutely. Because there, there are just so many layers to life, you know, just like you're saying, like you're the grounded, rooted, um, characteristic of you is to tend, but that branches off in so many different directions in your life, you know, with that, that same theme of tending, but, you know, tending the garden, tend like bringing people together for lucky Mm -hmm. stars. So, um, yeah, we're not just one thing or one part, you know, there's so many parts of us that build this whole and it all needs to be tended, you know? And so I, I, I love that and I totally agree. And yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. The school is right now, the school is in transition because I I haven't been having classes in person, you know, and that's been interesting, but also it's been really cool because by doing things virtually, I've been able to reach a worldwide audience, which is crazy and amazing, but um, I'm really looking forward to lucky star because this will be, I've had very few in-person classes that I've taught recently. So I really look forward to, this is like maybe one other class. Yeah. One other class that I've done in person this year. So I I love that bringing people together. It's so important. Oh yeah. And that, like you said, it can really being online can really broaden the scope of things but there's that energy of an in-person gathering that is just indescribable and you just can't, can't beat it in my opinion. I agree. And with something like henna, like I did, um, what year was that? Maybe that was 2020 or 2021. I can't remember, but I taught my henna course virtually and it was beautiful, but that the intimacy of touch and just being in someone's, auric field you know Mm -hmm. we didn't have that because we were all spread out so um it yeah it can't be duplicated the human connection can't be duplicated through technology so it is important for us to come together yeah and it reminds me of you know like a quilting circle you know when women would come together to make quilts also like um Oh, we've had this at camp before. Another thing is when women get together to make tamales, you know, it's the same. It's called the tamalada. And so we've had that at camp before, too. So it's that same kind of communal thing that it's just, man, it's it's critical. It's I just had coffee for the first time with my close friends, um, Man, and then like sitting there all summer, we're all busy and going in different directions and it's hard to do our Thursday morning coffee. But man, getting back together and sitting there with them in that circle, it just, it feels right. And it's a piece of me that I need. Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's definitely part, I think of the female experience to Absolutely. really want that communal um, energy in my life. 
Yeah, and you know, if we look at our ancestors, the ancients, women have such a strong history of oral tradition and gathering together that really at this point in the human experience, it's written on our DNA to gather in this way. That's why it feels right and it feels natural because it is, it really is part of us reaching way back in time and we're in touch with that when we gather together. So I, I believe it's a way of also honoring our ancestors and our sure. lineages uh, for women to come together this way. Totally agree. Well, so I end every podcast with the same question. And this can be anything, anything, an experience, a thing. Um, if you had to show and tell something. So think back to like, like for me, it was an elementary school on Fridays, we would have show and tell and we could bring something from home or it could be a person, a thing, anything. It could be an, an art project. It could be whatever you want it to be. But if you had something that you wanted to show and tell right now, what would it, what would that be? Hmm. I think it would probably be a handmade doll. Um, my grandmother, my paternal grandmother um, used to make dolls all the time and she's still alive. She's in her nineties and she's in Virginia. Um, oh, wow. But whenever we would go visit her, she always had all these dolls lined up and she would make dolls for us with dresses. And I had, friends of my mother that would make dolls for me when I was a little girl. And then my mother would collect dolls. And um, just recently here in the last maybe three years or so, I've started making dolls as well. And so there's something about a doll to me, like especially a handmade doll that's just so sweet and innocent and playful and special so oh, yeah yeah <laughs> i love that that's another thing that i mean like there's another class in there somewhere yeah. <laughs> like yeah. hmm, dolls. they're so fun so fun <laughs> so fun so yeah what do you make them out of out of corn husks so mm -hmm. you know the, the husk from yeah your ear of corn <laughs> Um, but I use botanical dyes to dye all of the corn husks. And then I just kind of sit and play and see what happens. And um, over over time, when I'm out in the garden or I'm outside, I'll find little things outside that I always just kind of set aside. Yeah. And then once the doll is done, like the foundation of the doll is done, then I adorn them with different things that come from the garden or that I found outside or that I've grown or you know, flowers that I've pressed and they become this whole person <laughs> really. Yeah. And then they kind of tell their story as they're being made and I get to learn who they are and then I tell their story. And yeah. That's awesome. That's <laughs> and that so was great. a surprise, you know, dolls are a surprise um, when they show up. So, <laughs> What do you mean by a surprise? Like you were surprised that it came to you and that you wanted to do it, but it's part, I mean, we know it's part of your 
your history. It's part of your blood, right? Since your grandma makes them. How do you mean it was a surprise? Um, well, the dolls themselves came to me in a, another, it was like a waking dream. I, I do a lot of work in my dreams. And so um, a lot of ideas and inspiration will be presented to me there. And um, so the dolls showed up in this like waking dream. And after I had that dream, I went outside for a walk because we live right near the river. So I went walking down to the river and I found <laughs> this. Okay. So in the dream, it was coming like corn husks, whatever. And I was just like, yeah. okay, that's weird. Corn husks. And I went walking down to the river and I found this pile of corn husks that it looked maybe somebody was eating some corn and they just dashed them out for compost yeah. or something. Yeah. So I picked them up and I took them home and I just kind of sat with them for a long time to figure out, well, what the heck is this, you know? Yeah. And then I did some research and found out that people would make dolls out of corn husks, which I didn't know at the time. Um, and then so I started playing with just how to make the dolls. But the surprise to me really is their stories and who they are. And I feel like that inspires where they go, because when people read their stories, then that determines like is because the dolls aren't mine. You know, some of them are and I keep them around, but mostly I'm making them for other people. So yeah. the surprise is who they are what their message is and where they'll travel to next. So, you know, and it unfolds slowly as they're being made. And then once they're complete, they have this whole story and someone out there in the world will say, Oh, that's my doll. And it's just, that's amazing to me. So it's, it fills me with curiosity and yeah, it's a surprise. No, you're one of the coolest girls I've ever met. (laughs) Like I'm so excited to have you in my life now. It okay, but this this concept is so relatable to art in general. When we're creating something with our hands, it's coming from us. We don't know what it's going to be. We don't know where it's going to end up. We are usually making it for other people, just like you said, whether it's a painting, um, crochet, embroidery, all the things. Mm -hmm. We don't know where it's going to end up, gardening even. And it does, it, it, it becomes its own personality. I mean, I'm thinking of a painting of one of my friends and past instructors like, and then she ends up naming them. And that little story in that tiny little name speaks to someone. And like you said, someone goes, oh, that's my painting. That's Absolutely. my story. Mm-hmm. That's part of me. And I've got to have it. And that that just like, another goosebump moment. It's <laughs> so... <laughs> I love, and I love how dreams have always been a a really um, monumental thing for me too. I feel like it's been so long since I've had a meaningful dream. And I guess that's a silly thing to say because 
they're all meaningful in some way. Um, but maybe it's more like it's been a long time since I've had a dream that I can actually remember, you know, and that I've brought into the next day with me. Yeah. Um, and, it, and you telling me about these dreams of yours is making me feel like I need to or I want to make a practice of trying to be more um, intentional about my sleep and my dreams and, and being a little more aware and conscious about that because I do believe that some really big messages can come when we've allowed ourselves to completely peel away from the surface and the everyday, all the stuff mm-hmm. and be in that, you know, unconscious state where we're still very much alive and doing all kinds of things in our brain. Yeah. I would say that mugwort would be a very good herb for you. Like if you were to, yeah. And a nod to your botany days, the botanical name is Artemisia vulgaris. Okay. Um, We have a local one here that's Artemisia ludovisiana, but it's moon medicine. And you could sip on a cup of mugwort tea. It's awfully bitter, but before you go to bed or you could um, smudge your space, burn some dried mugwort in your bedroom and mugwort will help you to have very vivid dreams, but it will also help you to retain that information that you learn in your dreams. Oh, that's great information. You know, um, melatonin can also have an impact on our dreams, but I, I'm one of those people who is so sensitive to melatonin and I know it's so good for you for, for many reasons, but it almost makes me, I mean, I have like a really crazy vivid dream. They seem to be very, I don't know, they're not so much informative as they are dramatic, you know, and sometimes traumatic. Yeah, yeah. I don't and, enjoy melatonin. <laughs> yeah, and I'm super groggy the next day. Like it really has a big impact in a negative way on my, my following day. So yeah. I'm going to try this mugwort for sure. Yeah. And maybe Write down you. blue lotus too. Write blue lotus because okay. blue lotus is one that will help you with um, like daydreaming, the daydream experience. Like, yeah, I like daydreams too. Oh yeah. <laughs> Me too. Blue lotus. We got to hang out. I know. I'm so excited. <laughs> and like just off the top of my head, I'm thinking about, I mean, I cannot wait for you to meet all your people that I already know you have at Lucky Star and you just don't know them yet, but just like the henna, they are calling you and I'm just the catalyst to get you there. I'm like so, so thrilled to have you. So if someone wanted to look up your um, school, the Blue, Blue Cypress School of Holism, where can they find you? I have a website. So bluecypressschool.org. Okay. And oh, and I also have an Instagram. Instagram, so okay. Instagram is, I have a couple of pages through Instagram, but the main one that I'm on is Blue Cypress Botanicals. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And that's more of like the big picture of the homestead and the animals and like all the gardens and the stuff that we're doing, medicine making and stuff. 
Awesome. Well, Nam, it was so nice getting to know you better. And I, I cannot wait for everyone else to meet you in person. But this, this podcast episode is going to give everyone a little insight into you and what you have to offer this year at Lucky Star, which I think is going to be so amazing. Cannot wait. <laughs> I'm so excited. I know I'm the new kid on the block, but it is very, I, I feel very inspired by everything I've seen about Lucky Star. So I'm, I'm really excited to step foot into the whole experience. Yeah. And you're in that sweet spot of being the new kid and seeing it and experiencing it for the first time. But I also think just because of your personality and what I, what I, the, the little bit that I know of you, you're also going to feel very much at home and like it's been waiting for you. So I yeah, can't wait. I can yeah, thank, you. <laughs> thank you to Abby for like yeah, Abby. Setting the, <laughs> the grounds for us to meet. What a special experience. Heck yeah. We need to get her back out to look at star. All right. We'll stay on for just a brief moment so it can upload. It was so nice to talk to you and I will see you soon. Thank you, Lisa. Lucky Star is a women's art and whole living sleepaway camp that takes place each fall in the Texas Hill Country. For dates and more information about our upcoming camps, visit our website at www.luckystarartcamp.com or find us on Instagram at Lucky Star Art Camp. <laughs>